Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another one of our uh, careers series episodes. Today, we're talking to Annabelle Travers. Um, how are you, Annabelle? How's it going? Yeah, excellent. Thank you. I'm really excited to chat to everyone about this as well. So. Amazing. We're very happy to have you. So to start off with, um, could you just kind of introduce yourself like with your profession, what you do um, and what you're doing currently? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Annabelle Annie. Um, I'm training to be a clinical pathologist at the moment. So what I'm doing is something called a residency. And what that entails is um, three to four years of training alongside pathologists. Um, and then at the end of that, you do an examination. And after that, you, if you pass it, of course, um, you are then a specialist in clinical pathology. And the way I try to explain that to sort of non-vetty people is I say, when you, when you take your cat or your dog to the vets and they need a blood test or they've got a lump and the vet tests it, they then send it to me. And then I hopefully can tell you what's going on. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it is quite a tough, career to go into um, there's a lot of knowledge that you need to know and it's uh, it's very content heavy um, could you tell us a little bit about you know going back in time what it was like for you getting into vet school and kind of what your journey was like through vet school was there anything that peaked for you in vet school did you start finding clinical pathology more interesting then or how did that kind of develop yeah sure um, I mean getting into vet school wasn't the most straightforward thing it was a fairly classic way but I didn't get in the first time so that's very common um you have to just stick out another year have a gap year do some traveling get into vet school great um always wanted to be a vet um never really thought much further than that by the time I got into vet school did the first couple of years um but I then did my third year research project which I think most vet schools do um, and I, not by choice, ended up doing a lab-based project and didn't really want to do it, but ended up really enjoying it, loved it, it was really fun. Um, and then following on from that, I kind of thought I'd broaden my horizons regarding my EMS training, doing going into practices. Um, I thought, well, instead of going to a practice, I'll look and see if there's any, any labs that will take me. And I found a lab, which is currently where I am now working. Um, and they were, you know, really happy to have students, um, really sort of enjoyed teaching. You got to learn so much in, more in depth, um, sort of all the detail that you kind of don't really need to know in practice. Um, things that you probably learn in the first couple of years and you probably forget. Um, it's a good, it was a good reminder of all of that stuff because it is actually important. Um, and then from then onwards, I thought, actually, do you know what? This is something I'm interested in. I always knew that in order to get a residency, you do need to do some time in practice anyway. And that, that meant I could see, you know, test the water, see how much I liked it. And I very much did enjoy it, but um, still wasn't, wasn't quite enough to, to change my mind. Um, and then going from there, and I basically just pestered the pathologist until they gave me a residency. <laughs> Yeah. Oh wow! What like it's nice to hear because um, I know I start my third year project in September, so it's nice to hear that even if you get something that you're a bit like oh, because they get assigned to you, don't they? If you're a bit like oh, I'm not too sure. Um, it's nice that you can actually discover something you really enjoy. Yeah. Don't discount it too quickly. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Mm. Um, 
so for you then obviously when you sort of were younger and you're thinking about becoming a vet um I feel like you think a lot about the animals and uh, having that day-to-day contact Mm -hmm. and then you ended up in a role that um perhaps you don't see animals every day and it's not that stereotypical like life that a vet has um is that something you miss um or something you wish perhaps going forward um I don't know can you I don't know for people that want to have that contact with animals but also really interested in the lab work can you do a bit of both is that an option I would say you can do once you've done your exams and you're boarded I do know of pathologists who have sort of got boarded become specialists and then decided you know what um, I miss the animals and they'll do a couple of days in practice and a couple of days in the lab each week and you know that's a personal preference completely up to you um but while training there isn't really time for that unfortunately and like you say I do really miss the animals but I'm lucky enough like I've got dogs at home um I've just moved out into my own my first house um which I just bought and I 100% plan on getting a dog which I will be taking to the lab with me I was thinking of getting like a lab 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 <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's so cute. I love it. Um, So in terms of residencies then, how did you um, go about finding one? Was it again through who you knew at the lab? And um, for people that are listening, like I think when you're at vet school, you hear a lot about um, sort of all the grad schemes that are out there. And it's very much when you're going through vet school, you are like almost pushed towards a career in practice. Um, what what is a residency and what are internships and um, what what's it like to do what you're doing at the moment whilst you're training? So broadly speaking, if you went on saying very specifically the ClinPath residency, um, most residencies tend to require you to do an internship first. So you'll come out of vet school, you might do a year in practice, you might go straight into an internship. That's like a year long training program. And the most common one would be a rotating internship. So you you essentially spend a little bit of time in each sort of specialist area and you go to big referral hospitals, which often run them. I think maybe some universities do them as well. Um, Yeah, like I said, one year, pretty intense, come up with a huge amount of experience and that does stand you in much better stead to to get that residency. And I think a lot of um, referral centers will take on residents who have previously done their internships and I know it can be quite competitive so you'll say you have three interns for competing for one residency but like I said very very good experience with clinical pathology it's kind of a little bit different you don't actually have to do an internship which is a bit unusual um, from what I gather there is only one specialist sort of ClinPath internship available which I think Bristol maybe does um, but you know with there only being one not many people get the opportunity to do it um, so they do take on vets who haven't done an internship and generally instead of one year internship they just require two years in practice I did 18 months. I was quite lucky, quite got, got one quite quickly. Um, and I think that is down to being really keen, pestering the, the uh, pathologists. It's who you know, like you say. Um, I kind of went on LinkedIn, um, connected with a whole bunch of pathologists, like messaged them, asked their advice. Um, a lovely 
actually a histopathologist, anatomic pathologist, who works at Nationwide called Alison Lee. She's a superstar. I managed to connect with her through, I think, the Vets Day Go Diversify page on Facebook. And she sent me this big, long word document about like things to consider, um, preparing yourself for an interview, for a residency, you know, all that. And um, I think that really helped me. So just knowing people, and it's quite a small world. So it's quite relatively easy to kind of wash your way in um, and get to know these people but you do kind of then need to know what you want to do you have to be quite set like I want to do pathology um, otherwise it's kind of no point yes definitely and I, I really like a few points that you touched on I think it's quite um, interesting because you said that um, you did quite a bit of well some pathology when you were a student which um, I think some people don't consider, I think now some vet schools are um, making it kind of a requirement to do at least two weeks of pathology, but that includes a huge scope of things. I personally did um, two weeks at, at labs and it's not something I'd considered before, but I enjoyed it so much. And the pathologists were really probably the most fun, like loving people I'd ever met. They would take these two hour long lunch breaks, sit all together and just like have this big, you they know. They just love what they do, don't they? Yeah, they just were inspiring. It was amazing. So I definitely recommend that for people to, to have a look at what labs is really like. They gave me my own microscope and they let me use like all different types of tools that I was like, oh my God, I'm going to break it. But they were so <laughs> happy. There was dogs everywhere. It was honestly like so much fun um, and it was one of my favorites actually so definitely for people listening when you get to vet school I think it's something you should really consider yeah 100%. and then yeah for sure it's something that's, that's super fun to do and then kind of like because you're doing a residency can you explain to us a little bit what your day-to-day -day is like is it a lot of being more like a student and learning or do you do a lot more hands-on things are you kind of on your own are you with other people how does it all kind of work yeah, sure. Um, so I can't really speak for people who do who's do, who are doing a residency in an academic setting because the place I work, um, I work for Synlab. So it's the veterinary pathology group is part of Synlab, which is like a big um, sort of medical, mostly human. Um, it's a commercial lab, so it's more... Um, like you are contributing to the caseload quite heavily. Whereas I think in a academic setting, for example, I think a lot of that um, pathologists train at the RBC, um, there'll be more in terms of training the vet students and things like that. So you need to kind of decide if you do want to go down this path, what, you, you know, if, if that's quite important to you, if you want to be involved with the training of the students um, or if you, you know, are happy to try and just get a maximum caseload in to get experience. So in a commercial lab, essentially my day goes, I get in between nine and 9.30, which is lovely. <laughs> I could go for a run on something in the morning, plenty of time. Um, and we basically, there's three of us, three residents, and we just work together to do um, profiles so all your bloods biochemistries endocrinology your analysis things like that and as they come in um as in the results come in from the text in in, the, in sort of the lab um we interpret them so you know you kind of look at the clinical history um and then you look at the results and then you need to kind of make it make sense and then explain this to the vet in a way that is neither patronizing um you need to explain it in kind of quite a friendly way because actually you know you don't want to offend them um and then that will be sent out as a resident 
especially in the early years, so my, mine was just four years long, my residency, um, we have a border pathologist will check all of our work. So it gets double signed. So you don't have to worry about like, is it wrong, is it right? And from that alone, you learn huge amounts. Um, and then we do quite a lot of cytology as well. So like you say, with the microscope, um, the, it will get stained in the lab with the text, they'll bring it in. And again, you look, you do, you know, the cytology, you look at the um, history that, that the vet's given you and you kind of interpret it to write a report. And then we can go through that with the board of pathologists. They've got double headed micros microscopes that so we can kind of go through it together if needed. Um, it's a massive learning curve. When I first started, I was like, how do I do this? <laughs> no idea what I'm doing. And um, I do admit as a, an actual vet, I just jumped straight to the comment, never really read the, uh, the descriptions or anything like that. Whereas now I'm like, oh, this is really important. Um, and then the other thing we do is speak to the vets themselves. So they'll frequently, you know, they're phoning in all day, asking about to discuss cases, um, which is really nice, but also kind of daunting because I think they expect me to know loads. And I don't know loads yet, but we'll get there. Well, it sounds like a pretty kind of exciting working day. There's a lot of teamwork involved. Which I... Loads of teamwork. Yeah, definitely. And with it being a residency, it's also quite important that we do things like resident rounds. Um, mm -hmm. So we do that every Wednesday morning. Um, and then we... The, and that sort of um, group-wide thing. So in total, there's 14 of us residents, but we're in different labs across the country. And we'll do that over teams. Um, and then my residents in the lab that I'm working at, we'll, we do our own rounds on a Friday lunchtime as well. Um, and then there's also journal clubs. So it's, it's also quite interactive. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, you mentioned before that you kind of had to reach out to a lot of different people and kind of um, yeah, do a lot of networking, which I think is a really good point to have to keep in mind with vet kind of profession in general, because it's so small and all vets seem to be connected in some way or another. So it's really good to start even early if you have some ideas of a placement you want to do. Some of the coolest kind of EMS that I did was because I reached out to someone, even just writing them in, you know, an email. And you will find that most vets are very keen to kind of teach and to help other vets out. So that's really good. But you also mentioned that you kind of had to be very decisive about, yes, pathology is 100% what I want to do. How did you kind of get to that point? Because I think I'm quite an indecisive person. Myself. <laughs> I think some people might be thinking, wait, how do I know? How do I know? How did you kind of know that you were like, yes, this is 100% pathology. Let's go. How did that happen? <laughs> I think it, it was after my first year of practice. I was like, this is, this is, I loved it. But there were also parts which was a bit rubbish and things that they didn't really, they told you about at vet school, but they didn't exactly elaborate on it. And you find out of yourself very quickly, things like the financial constraints and having to manage other people's finances. I don't have to do that anymore. It's great. <laughs> that was quite stressful in itself. Um, I would say that, I mean, cut to chase, pay is better. So... <laughs> That is, you know, vets themselves don't get rewarded as much as they should anyway, you know, for the amount of work that they put in. Um, and most vets don't really seem to mind that. But, um, yeah, I think it, it does come into play. Obviously, whilst you're in the residency, you're going to go for a, a relatively good pay cut. But, you know, it's worth it in the end, I would say. Um, and then work-life balance as well. I like doing other things. Like, I don't want being a vet to define me personally it, it is my it's my career but it is also my job I have other hobbies I have horses I like to run um 
you know, I'm also a qualified personal trainer and I quite like to do that in, uh, you know, a bit of spare time as well. And although during the residency, maybe you, you don't get quite so much of like, this spare time um, with all the reading and revising and things that do need to be done. Um, from what I've heard from other pathologists, you know, they do feel like their work-life balance is a lot better as a pathologist than a vet. Um, and that's something I personally really value. So that also sort of steered me in that direction. Oh, and then the other final thing, like you said yourself, um, they just seem to love it. All these pathologists, they absolutely love their job. Like, I want to love my job that much. <laughs> you know, there's a reason, I suppose, that especially in the climate as it is now, we're struggling to, to keep vets within the profession. Whereas like pathologists just want to do it for fun. Like literally they love it. So I want that. <laughs> That's so nice because um, like you're saying, you don't, you don't want being a vet to be your whole life, but the part of your life it does take up, you want to have that passion for it. And like you say, people were sort of leaving the profession because it's perhaps not all they seemed. And to know you're on a pathway doing something you really enjoy and you can see other people doing it and having that positive sort of like feeling and like, job satisfaction that must be like really really nice um it sounds like you do a lot of other things outside as well which is obviously really good for like your mental health and making sure you do have that work-life balance so what are perhaps some of your top tips i know you've only recently graduated as well so for students as well as people who um are at sixth form and working their way into vet school what are your sort of top tips for making sure you always have that time and um set time like to go to the gym and go for runs and be with your horses and things like that? For me, it's all about routine um, and also having boxes to check. So if I say that, oh, I think I might go for a run in the morning, I probably won't go for a run in the morning. But if I sort of plan my day in advance, say I'm gonna go for a run, then I'm gonna go for work and I'm gonna do the food shop and then I'm gonna do this. I like kick myself if I miss something. Um, and then at the end of the day, you feel really good that you've managed to check all these boxes off um, and you've been quite productive. Whereas obviously if you, you kind of go, oh, I'll do it later, do it later, do it later, doesn't, just doesn't happen, then you feel a bit rubbish. Um, so I think that's quite important. Um, also selecting your job quite carefully as well. At the moment, for people who are recently graduating, there's so much option. Literally every single vet practice is, is looking for a vet. Um, you can take your time. Don't go straight for the first job that you know, offers you a job. Um, find one that you think that will fit around kind of the lifestyle that you want to have, whether that's um, doing out of hours or not. Some people actually really enjoy doing the out of hours that they want to do. Um, Sort of emergency medicine I did out of hours for, for my, in my first job for the first eight months and you know it was very stressful but I learned a huge amount um but it, it does kind of ruin your evening a little bit so it depends on really how many other activities you really want to fit into your day um I do think it is quite important to spend time outside the and that is the one thing like I miss having worked in a veterinary practice where during COVID, we were consulting outside. Didn't really mind that when it wasn't, you know, torrential rain. Um, whereas now I do sit in the office all day. So it is, and my boss is very like good with being like, go for a walk at lunchtime, go for a run at lunchtime, go sit outside to eat your lunch, spend, you know, um, because otherwise it is a lot of sitting down looking at the computer all day. Um, yeah, I think that's probably my top tip is be, be organized. 
So you touched on again, um, kind of the fact that it is quite a big commitment because you said it's four years, right? Um, Do you find that you kind of enjoy the day to day or are there some things that are quite hard that maybe make you think sometimes like, oh, wow, can I really do this? Can I make it through? How do you kind of manage your mindset and expectations to keep you going every day? Yeah. Um, it is a, it's a reasonably long day. I know it does, doesn't start off until 9, 9.30, but sometimes I'm there till 7 p.m. Um, I've been there till 8 p.m. before. But I do find the day goes, goes quite quickly, and I just think that's because I enjoy it so much. So, And also, I have great colleagues, and it's kind of more fun that way. So um, I don't know if I really struggle with that personally. It's sometimes, obviously, it comes to Friday, and it's been a long week, and it's, uh, you know, you just want to kind of get through the day. But... I think that's the difference between clin path and like maybe maybe clinical practice. It's just that there's kind of almost less pressure, so it's less stressful. So I enjoy it more, and therefore I don't tend to have that as an issue. Uh, I don't know if that really answers your question. <laughs> yeah, no, it does because I think um, some people think before they do something, you never really know how it's going to go. Um, yeah especially the day to day, especially when it's such a big commitment, and especially if you've worked really hard to kind of get into it so i think it's really nice to hear that you find that the day-to-day like flows quite well which is really really good um do you mind explaining to us a little bit kind of like once you've done your residency and once you will be a boarded pathologist what are kind of the pathways that you can take what do different pathologists do do they all like work in large labs or are there different kind of things they can do like academia and things like that yeah sure um I suppose you kind of yeah hit the nail on the head it generally is you work in a commercial lab or you go into academia um, both of which completely viable pathways um, the one thing that is becoming much 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 bigger and which is really exciting is the increase in digital cytopathology so we've had digital histopathology for a little while but the technology needed to get good images required for cyto is is you know, it's more advanced and because you need that extra level of detail, you know, is that cell slightly granular makes a difference. Um, and because, you know, we're seeing that and at the moment, my lab has a, I think it's an exclusive contract with a company called Scopio. And we are currently trying to increase and push the usage of this. They, what, and by they, I mean, the vet themselves, they stain up the slide and then they scan it onto this machine, like into this sort of scanner machine and it uploads online. and the pathologist can look at it anywhere, you know, as long as they've got internet access, they can look at it anywhere, um, which is really exciting because it means that, because um, at the moment there is sort of, I guess, a bit of a limitation in terms of where you can live. There's a, a limited number of pathology labs um, in, in the UK, so you have to kind of be in one of those regional areas, whereas with, with digital cytology, it means you can kind of do it from anywhere, um, which should hopefully help increase the you know, the uptake of you know, getting people into pathology because similar to, to the general practicing veterinary population, there is a shortage of pathologists. Um, so I think that's quite exciting. And that is where we're kind of looking at in, in the future. It's where it's going to go. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for it. I quite enjoy doing my online Scopio cases. It means you can um, even show the vets. So you can like uh, annotate the slides and then the vet can see exactly what you're talking about and then they can show the clients which is also really cool um so i think that would be the main kind of change 
in the future um, and that'll yeah affect things and then in terms of academia I suppose you know you're, you're, we're taught by by clinical pathologists at uni so I suppose it, it'd kind of go in that direction um, and again I think you would also then be more also responsible for training residents within veterinary as well so um, yeah I guess those would be the directions yeah that's really interesting i like the sound of um scopio because I, I was on placement recently um at vets and i feel like when you're not using your knowledge every day you do forget and um you come in as a student and one of the older vets was like to me they were like how do you do a gram stain look under the microscope i've forgotten how to do it all because we don't do it every day yeah. and so that's really good in sort of like that you can annotate and you're educating in a way yeah. and you're working sort of in in practice but outside of practice so you do you do get that interaction which is really really nice um and again you mentioned about um training the other residents that will come in in the future um is education you're something you like something you're particularly passionate about or i actually do love education and i thought before i got my residency that you know that would be kind of what i would prefer to do so um I, you know, I was going to plan with to go to the RVC um, because I kind of thought it'd be really fun to train the vet students. I really like teaching people and I'm, you know, I like to be taught, I like to share knowledge. Um, but with the residents, you kind of just get what you're given a little bit. It's a similar to going to vet school, you know, you, you get an offer and you're like, I'll go there. I did have a, um, an interview at the RVC as well, but I'd already been offered my residency at VPG and having already you know visited and I, I know I'd really like it there anyway um so you know the loss of that didn't bother me too much and like you say you can always go into education academia after you you know become boarded so um I don't think it's a massive loss and like I said we're really keen to have vet students so um I would definitely encourage vet students to come we have them every now and then but it should happen more often especially with um covid lighting up so um i think i kind of get my opportunity to teach and, and to kind of be more interactive then so i don't yeah i think i missed out too much yeah that's amazing i think um yeah as i said pathologists are some of the friendliest people i met so <laughs> it's definitely going to be a fun experience if you go and actually one of my university professors, well, um, one of the pathologists we had, he was literally everybody's favorite lecturer. <laughs> Even if people didn't love pathology, they were still like, oh my God, he's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was just really good and it was really fun. <clears throat> so you mentioned that there was like quite a, a learning curve um, for going into pathology kind of as a resident. How did you kind of manage that? Because is it just that you spend a lot more time studying or do you do it as a group or do you just prefer learning through experience? How did you manage that kind of big change in learning? Because I feel like that's what a lot of people are going to be doing when they go into vet school. It's going to be a massive change in their technique of learning. Did you find that you had to change the way that you were learning? Um, yes, no. I think a lot of it's just down to waiting it out. The longer you're there and the more, you know, you're in that environment, it becomes normal um, and you just don't question it anymore, do you? But, um, it, it is a bit odd because I went from being in practice where everyone came to me. I was often the only vet there, you know, I had to make huge decisions and then I'd go into my residency as a brand new baby resident. Like, I knew nothing in, you know, in terms of pathology um, and it was a little bit daunting. It was like, oh, I'm this small, tiny little fish in this massive pond. Um, but actually, you know, everyone's so lovely and 
you can look back on how much you've learned in such a short period of time and when you've got these mentors as well who they give you all this reassurance and this praise it's it really helps um so yeah not to mention an issue thankfully yeah and also the jump to going into vet school is not scary it, you think it's scary before you go but it's so much fun you meet all these new people everyone's in the same boat um i think the difficult part when you move into practice is often you're the only new grad and you feel a little bit alone um so it is important to have you know to make sure that the team that you're going to be with is going to be supportive um a supported team is like 100 the best thing you can you can look for when you start practice definitely and that must be nice for you as well sort of going into pathology not really knowing anything but then also having other sort of residents alongside yeah, yeah. you that you can work with and you can learn from each other that's something i when i was at sit form i was sort of the only person in my group of friends that did biology and chemistry and then i went to vet school and everybody's doing the same thing and i never really sort of benefited from group learning before and sort of learning from each other so um yeah no that's really nice that you have that um because like you say i suppose if you sort of graduate and go into a job where you're the most qualified person in the practice at times but you've only been out of vet school for like what six months that can be quite quite daunting yeah and it happens um, too often mm, yeah no um it, it sounds like it but um yeah i think i think that's a nice place to sort of finish up really that um it it sounds like you're doing what you really do enjoy and what you are passionate about which where, like being two years out of vet school it's nice that you found that and you have that already um and you've got lots of sort of things to look forward to and you can get yourself into a bit of a routine and have a bit of a work-life balance you sound like you've got it all together and like it really <laughs> lucky like most yeah have like you know a lot of residents have been in practice for 10 years plus before they decide yeah to be a pathologist so it's never too late mm -hmm. um never too late to just you know just think i'm gonna try and go down a different path um, yeah. and um, yeah i'm actually quite young to be doing it and like you say i'm really lucky that i've kind of made that decision quite early on mm, yeah no definitely um what are some of your top tips for sort of helping people um well not sort of helping people make that decision but for people that are like oh i do have an interest in that i know you mentioned using like linkedin for networking and that's how you found where you're doing your residency now what are sort of your top tips for reaching out to people in the profession because i know some people might find it quite intimidating that is yeah and i was one of those people i found it really intimidating and i just kind of had to do it um and i think i was quite lucky and almost pushed by my boyfriend who is just really good at this sort of stuff and he's telling me about all these connections he's made and you know i'm like oh i don't really want to bother them i don't want to annoy them but not one person has you know either failed, failed to reply even if it's a couple of days later they've all been really friendly and they've all been really engaging and really happy and keen to kind of foster and encourage and nurture this kind of passion because I just don't think there's enough people who are that interested and so many um, people used to be like oh you want to do pathology really and I just don't get it I'm like yeah why don't you it's amazing it's great so um, I think just not being afraid asking and I am more than happy to answer and field any questions from anybody just you know drop me a message um, an email anything find me on LinkedIn Facebook whatever more than happy to answer questions more than happy to try and arrange um, visits to the lab um, so yeah I just think just ask you have to ask if you don't ask you don't you don't know do you
Yeah, for sure. And I think that's something hopefully people will see from all these interviews that we've done, <clears throat> that everybody who's kind of um, gone a little bit on a, you know, different path has done so by just reaching out to different people and just every random meeting and opportunity came along because of um, meeting someone else that was doing something they found interesting or getting together with other people. So um, I think this culture of reaching out and kind of bringing the profession together is something really positive. And yeah, that's, I've definitely done that many times when I was kind of like thinking about what different things to do, what options were there. Um, people have even been as kind as being like, oh, well, why don't we have just a Zoom chat and we can like talk about it. Like I can hear what you have to say. It's some people go really out of their way. It's, it's crazy. So and they're more than happy to do it. Yeah, then it, that's why. So people don't don't be afraid to reach out. Um, vets are usually very friendly. So um, yeah. Yeah, make sure you reach out. And yeah, it was really good to talk to you. You've given us um, a lot to think about and it's <laughs> a fantastic profession. So hopefully we'll see the numbers go up in pathology. So. Yeah, definitely. It sounds fantastic. So thank you very much for joining us. And I hope everyone listening has really enjoyed this this episode. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.